Hi, I'm Jennifer Mulholland. And I'm Jeff Shuck. We're the co-leaders of Plenty. Thanks for joining our podcast, Plenty for Everyone. Each episode, we talk with conscious leaders like you to explore abundance in work and life, fulfillment in head and heart, and ways we can all work together to make this world a better place. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Plenty for Everyone. I am Jeff Shuck, and with me is Jennifer Mulholland. And as you know, we are the leaders, the co-leaders of Plenty. And we're really happy to have you here today as we continue our conversations with conscious leaders. And we have one of our favorite conscious leaders on the show today. With us is Ellie Starr, who's the founder of Stars Aligned, a consultancy that works in a lot of the spaces that we work with nonprofits and social impact leaders and helping people make a difference in the world. And Ellie is a former client a few times and a lifelong friend. And we are really happy to have you here, Ellie Starr of Stars Aligned, the best company name ever with maybe the exception of plenty. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you both, Jennifer. Also, it is totally a pleasure and an honor. And we have had a lot of fun together over the years. And I have a feeling we're going to have some more today. We already got started too. We were chatting, (laughs) getting deep into riffing and conversation before we started to hit record. So maybe we'd love to give our listeners and people tuning in just a context of you know, where are you actually calling in from and what are you up to today or these days to set the context for what we'll explore? Sure. I am in Newton, Massachusetts. I have been in Newton, Massachusetts my whole life. I brag often about really getting around in the world. I've lived in four zip codes and five homes, all in Newton. Very proud. And I come from a background of fundraising out of choice and necessity, I hit the fundraising trail after having had a divorce without a career. And I kind of jumped into fundraising because I had done it as a volunteer. And then spent the next 25 plus years learning and growing in various fabulous institutions in greater Boston and feel very fortunate that I got to wear the uniform of Brandeis and Harvard and Museum of Science, Dana-Farber and Perkins School for the Blind and loved it and left that world in January after what I can only describe as the worst year of my life, 2019, just in case anyone thought 2020 was the worst. I was going to say. 2019 came We got it. We're going to have to hear how bad it was because it was worse than this year. Well, let me say this. Any year in which you have your chest sawed open and your heart in someone's hand, not a great year. I went through several months of being sick and not owning it. I'll just say that. I am the queen of denial and have always been healthy my whole life. So, you know, kind of bragged. I'd taken one sick day and it was after walking out of a meeting to get my appendix out and was back two days later. So 
always been healthy. So when I couldn't breathe as I walked upstairs, I just figured it's winter, it's allergies, it's whatever, only to find out I was walking around with increasingly worse heart failure from a valve that was broken. And no fault of my own, no reason. They don't know why these things happen, but they do and they need to get fixed. And the fixing required, as I said, open heart surgery and many months of recovery. I had a return trip to the cardiac ICU. Not a fun experience, but it was exactly one year before COVID-19 hit March 20 in my community. So, you know, had everything that happened that I call the worst year of my life happened the following year. likely not be here. And I'm painfully aware of that or gratefully aware of that every day. Not to make this too long a story and take the rest of the podcast to answer you, I had that horrible year. I wound up leaving the Museum of Science in January, long before I was aware that COVID was the undertoad of the world at that point, and decided that I had worn great uniforms, I had worked for great causes, I had always wanted to be my own boss, my own CEO. If you ask my younger sister, Jill, who constantly told me, you're not the boss of me, and I said, oh, yes, I am, you would know that I have always been that natural bossy gal. And so being my own boss was something I wanted to do. And much more importantly, I really wanted to have a much deeper, broader impact and not wear the one uniform, but be able to look at for instance, the UN SDGs, the UN Sustainable Development Goals, and say, how can I work with organizations and funders to make good on those goals? And decided very soon after leaving the museum that I would launch Stars Aligned. And yes, the name was instant in my brain. I thought, what do I want to do? Oh, this is what it's called. And then, you know, started scurrying to figure out what's going to be the business plan, what's the model, what's the website, and all of the mechanics of starting a business. And then, bam, COVID. Whoa. (laughs) Do I still want to do this? And the answer was absolutely. And in my immediate, honest to God, my first thought was, do I want to do this? It's going to be impossible to start a new business. And it's the best time possible because never before has the need been so great, has the opportunity been so great, and I'm going to do this. Like there's no time to waste. I feel a sense of urgency having looked at my mortality a little more carefully and closely than I wanted. So, so here I am. We're so good. It only took what, an hour and a half? Yeah, good job. (laughs) More to unpack, more to unpack. We are so grateful that 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 happened to you prior to this year and would just echo how much fun and how fulfilling it was working with you at the Museum of Science. And you had such a life-changing experience that not everybody gets the opportunity to have. And it's interesting to look at it that way. And maybe would you mind just kind of exploring a little bit about what has changed? What did you see differently through that experience or 
what were your key takeaways that that informed you taking the leap of courage to do something that would represent what I hear and we hear your heart's calling, right? Literally, they, somebody else had your heart in their hands and you took that embrace back for yourself to pursue what it is your heart wants to experience and become. Maybe would you mind just exploring? I can only imagine there were some big like holy shit moments and ahas. And before we started recording, we kind of talked about your reflection of a past conversation around getting off the hamster wheel. Like was that, were you on the hamster wheel? And did you notice the signs prior to walking up the stairs and losing your breath? Or was it literally you had no indication prior to that moment? I had plenty of indication for months, which I very easily ignored. I was at the fastest clip I've ever been on the hamster wheel. So at my desk at seven o'clock in the morning, not leaving most nights before seven in the evening and often later because a lot of events and always feeling like I was pushing and running faster and faster. I did not have a heart attack, so it wasn't like a stress-induced thing, but the fact that I ignored it for so long, and I was really sick. I mean, I walked out of a board meeting to take a call from my doctor who said, why don't you come in? I'd rather you not go to the emergency room. I think it sounds like things have changed, and this was already months into, and I got there, and And he said, you're going to have to have the surgery. You know, I knew it was ahead of me, like it had to be scheduled a month ago, a month later. But he said, you're going to have to have the surgery now. And and I was like, what do you mean? And I said, you know, I really think it's just stress. And, you know, I was worried about, and I'm telling him why I don't really need to have surgery. And he looks at me like I have six heads and says, you're in heart failure. You're going to get admitted now and you're having surgery this week. And what did I say? Oh, damn. Okay. I'm going to just drive home and get my stuff. A doctor says to you, you're in heart failure and you respond by saying, I'm going to drive home and get my stuff. That is someone not in touch with their body and mind. So I guess what I would say is that's a whole other podcast for another time, all of what I went through with the re-hospitalization 10 days later and all of that. But I think the thing that, that I was left with is you think that you know yourself, you think that you kind of get who you are and how you walk through the world and you accept it. I did. I won't speak for everyone. I'm just one chucklehead me. I had no idea where I was. I, I really didn't. And it took a lot of therapy post. One of the Good things about having cardiac surgery is you get free cardiac shrink advice. <laughs> so I got to, you know, kind of process all of this much more wisely than I lived through it. You know, I would literally, even after I was getting better, kept saying, I just don't believe this happened to me. And he finally said to me, like, you've been in denial most of your life. You've just explained a perfect example of that. So I think, you know, what I would say is none of us know ourselves as well as we think we do. 
And it's only in the stopping and in the courage to look at how messed up our vision of ourselves can be and a willingness and a, not even a willingness, an urgent desire to get better, to be honest, to be real, to, to be authentic. And anyone that's known me would always say, I speak my mind, I'm real deal. And I think I've always been that, but I think the one that I was kidding the best was myself. And to have to admit to myself that I wasn't as invincible as I thought I was, you know, my kids are still traumatized. You know, I came pretty close to the Grim Reaper a few times. And so that to me is a real important takeaway. I mean, I had to learn the hard way about trusting other people, but I always had trusted myself. And I was kind of surprised to find out I was not that good at knowing what was best for me or seeing myself. I love the point that you're making. And first of all, thank you for sharing all of that. And just to tell the listeners, Ellie said to us before we started talking what all of our guests say, which is, I'm not sure I have anything to offer, but... I'd love to be on. And you've already shared so much that I bet a lot of people are finding resonant. And I want to go back to, there's so much to talk about right there, but this idea that, you know, when you're lost, sometimes the worst thing to do is to keep walking (laughs) because you just end up further in the woods and that you have to just be willing to stop. And when you stop, or just slow down or turn down the volume, you can kind of listen to what's around you, to what's inside of you. You can get your bearings a little bit. And I'm really interested in, in that and connecting it, not to, not to project anything that you're not saying, but connecting it to something Jen and I see in our clients and in the, in the social impact space all the time, which is there is this trade-off that is made between success in achieving funding at the cost of well-being and idealism for another cause at the cost of care for oneself. And I feel like what Jen and I have partly tried to do with Plenty is say that those are false choices and don't need to be made. Because I'd love to say, Ali, this is the first time we've heard this story from someone in the social sector. And it really isn't. So we don't have to explore all of that or solve all of that. But I, I'm struck at the miracle that you made it through that place because I see so many people who haven't and they're still running faster. They don't know. They're not, they're not awake enough to say I'm lost or to even say, why did I think being invincible was a positive trait? Like when did that become imprinted on us? That's a long way of saying thank you for being willing to share your story with everyone. Thanks, Jeff. I think, I don't know. I I guess I think the real lessons for me that were learned came way later. They They certainly weren't, you know, I mean, just getting through every minute of every day. Pain is a remarkable thing. And thankfully, none of us remember it in the same way that we experience it. Otherwise, there wouldn't be any babies ever again. But it is like getting through the pain part of it. And then I remember also 
I couldn't drive for 12 weeks and I am fiercely independent. And the metaphor of not only not being in the driver's seat, I had to sit in the back of the car because the risk of busting open your chest with a airbag is really great. And so they don't want that to happen. So you have to literally sit in the back seat, which I am not a natural backseat gal. It took so much past that to finally kind of look at all of that and look at, I mean, that sense of being invincible, not being a good thing. Well said, Jeff, because it's so foolish. I mean, it's just so foolish. And yet I was so wrapped up in my identity. So I'm proud of myself that I was able to work through it and and recognize that, you know, I don't have to be quite so daring. I don't have to, you know, even something as simple as waiting for stoplights rather than running through when in the middle of traffic, which, you know, Bostonians are really good at. Like unnecessary risk is just stupid. And I used to think it was carefree, Ellie, in a convertible with her blonde hair blowing. But you got to wear the seatbelt. And in my life, you also need to be in the driver's seat with your glasses on. Like you need to really see where you're going. Well, and how lucky are we that the universe or whatever higher power you believe in, you know, has our backs in a way to help us get off the hamster wheel or to have a forced rest or to pause. And sometimes we don't know how to do that for ourselves. And what happens, whether it's COVID and the global reset or whether it's a health crisis or whether it's a loved one experiencing their own health crisis or trauma, you know, something gets our attention to be in a different relationship with our own identity. And it's almost like layers come off. And I'm learning, it's really an unlearning journey. It's like literally like, does that cloth, that cloak, that armor serve me well now? And sometimes we're not even aware that we're running on automatic conditioning, automatic parenting, automatic pass down, automatic lineage, legacy, all that stuff we take on. And I I really appreciate, and this is the purpose of our podcast is to talk with conscious leaders like yourself who are, who may not have all the answers, but are willing to awaken and increase your own awareness of your own potential, your own consciousness because we have bodies, but we're not our bodies. We're so much more. And when that, when we have a crisis, it helps us question, who am I really? Like, who am I really? What is my identity? Where am I placing power? And I really appreciate just the factual honesty around, I was living in denial, you know, or I wasn't choosing to really take the sign seriously for myself. And, 
you know, that surfaces for us at each stage in different ways. And I'm experiencing that right now with my son's injury and realizing, holy shit, I have really put a lot of identity into him being an all-star athlete. And my, my identity with what that looks like of me being an athlete and having a child that, well, of course you got to be an athlete. And all of it is wrapped up in a false identity of like, that's not really who he is. It's not really who I am. But I can tell you, I wasn't aware of that identification until this last few months. And I, just the gift of the, what we can see when we're willing to see. And last point, I think just to Jeff, and maybe you can expand on this, is it is an epidemic right now in the social sector and the nonprofit sector in that I can't tell you how many client conversations we are having with people that are exhausted from Zoom fatigue. Like we've gone from this fast-paced travel life to online every, online meetings all day long, and everybody's scared to take a break. Not everybody. That might be a big exaggeration, but a lot of people are. And that cost to our own mental, spiritual, physical well-being is real. And our hope is that we can help each other see the signs earlier so that what I call the Mack truck moment, that moment that gets your attention, that helps you like do an absolute course correct or full stop. You know, I don't think it, we have to have those moments to be able to see. And maybe that's my idealistic nature. And sometimes it's the only way we can see. What I'd say, I think, and what's worth bouncing around is, and yet I know you've had one of your own. I had one of my own. And before this call, I had a chance to listen to a, a futurist, an author, a guy named David Hoyle, I think is how you pronounce his last name, or Huell. He made a lot of interesting points, a lot of things that we've all talked about and probably that people listening have heard about. But one point he made that stuck with me is he said, stop using the word innovation because if that ever worked, we're not in a time of innovation anymore. We're in a time of constant iteration and a time of disruption. And really, when you look at like generational change, the big changes are disruptive. And I wonder if that's the way personal change has to work as well. Do we know we're lost until we run into a tree, I guess, is, is the point. And I hear your and share your idealism, Jen, that maybe it doesn't have to be that way. And yet, I don't know. I, I look around at what's happening in the country right now, and literally we're all holding the heart of, of America in our hands. And my hope is that this disruption is what, allows it to, to sew it all back together. But I don't know if we would have gotten there without the disruption. So let's hit the tennis ball back to you, Ellie. And like now a year on living through 2020, which seems like a walk in the park compared to 2019, how have you integrated that in kind of the day-to-day? How's your day different? You know, how is your way of viewing things and your way of conducting business different than it may have been 15 months ago? Well, to the point of you need massive Mack truck disruption, I am an idealist with the rest of you. I mean, I'm very idealistic. However, I used to always say that I think the reason there, this isn't an environmentalist point of view, but I used to always say, you know, 
sunny California. It's beautiful every day. That's why they gave them earthquakes because every now and then you got to just shake them to recognize it isn't always a beautiful sunny day. And I am 100% sure if I speak just about myself that I would not be in the psychological, emotional, philosophical place had I not had that event happen to me. And I, you don't, I need no further evidence other than telling a doctor when he said, you're in heart failure, I say, I'm going to go drive my car to get my stuff. That is someone that needed to be kind of smacked around a little. So <laughs> I think I needed that. And I think we often need that. And I remember when I wrote a, a piece on put on Medium about how the great thing about this moment is that it was the first time and certainly in my life that I could think of any time where the entire world was experiencing the same bad thing at the same bad time. And therefore, we had the opportunity to do something great together. And maybe this would be the thing. And what could each of us, if every single person finally got awakened from their slumber, what is the one thing that each of us could do? And so I would say my, my view is you really do need a drastic disruption to make massive change at least much of the time. Yeah. And we're seeing that all around. We're seeing also just the divisiveness of who's harnessing the change for good and who's harnessing the change for more division. And it's a choice point. Uh, we believe, you know, and I believe that at every moment we have a choice of leaning into seeing the gift and blessings to change things that weren't working for the better, or we have the choice point to empower and give energy to what's not working and perpetuate the martyrdom victim cycle. And those choice points seem to be really the at the heart of the dichotomy of black and white, red and blue, you know, good and bad, left and right, all the, the juxtapositions of um, how we're pitted against each other. But, you know, maybe just to kind of continue the, the thread of meandering, you know, one of the, my favorite memories of you, I'll just share the chuckle was, you know, we're at Museum of Science, we're facilitating a workshop on innovation, on helping you all create a new concept for your fundraising and asking everybody to close their eyes and we do a guided meditation. And at some point during the whatever workshop, you were like, anything but the woo-woo stuff. And whatever... The woo-woo word was brought up and Jeff and I just, it was like one of those triggers of like, oh, good. And it became an inside joke with the three of us. So, Well, let me me add, (laughs) saying the word woo-woo while also doing this kind of surfing motion, (laughs) it's really hard to communicate over a podcast. But if you're watching the video version, it was this (laughs) woo-woo. dance move. And and to be totally transparent, it hit my vulnerability cord because part of stepping out of the spiritual closet in the corporate world is one of our ways is to help people get 
out of their heads and into their hearts. So they can really come from an integrated left and right brain place to come up with the greatest solution for the organization. And it's really our way of helping guide an inside out approach. So not trying to defend that, but just it's been our inside joke and that, that term. And knowing you now and seeing your evolution of your experience in the corporations and, as you say, wearing the uniforms in comparison to leaping out on your own, do you feel more comfortable kind of coming out of your own spiritual closet? How has that and is that informing what you do now with Stars Aligned? Is it on the table as being discussed or is it still not safe to kind of explore? I think we need a whole other part two podcast. But I will say this, that I always said a really good fundraiser is a chameleon with integrity, that the best fundraisers know how to look across from somebody and be who they are, but speak in the language of the person they're speaking to in such a way that they will really connect with what you're saying. So part of what I have always done wearing the uniform is see and live in the environment in which I'm in. And that comment, which I apologize again for (laughs) getting right to your worst nightmare moment, I would say that it was not a reaction to what I was feeling. It was me reading the room and saying, oh, that is, it's not working in this room the way we want it to. So it was more a reflection of the uniform I was wearing than what was really going on in my heart. And therefore, I would say, yes, stars aligned. Now, I said to a friend of mine the other day, like, I have never felt more myself because I didn't realize how, as much as I loved every organization I worked for and believed deeply in the good work they were doing, I was working so hard to fit into a uniform that didn't really fit you know, to live in the culture and deal around, surfing around politics, et cetera, it was a lot of work. It was exhausting. It was at least three quarters of that run around the hamster wheel was not in getting the work done, but it was in accommodating a culture or an environment or politics or people, et cetera. And I feel like with Stars Aligned, I have an opportunity to partner with people that speak the language I speak. So I don't have to turn into that chameleon in such a way that it's no longer comfortable or that it's so much work. It's, it's like a pleasure. And so I'm choosing partners that I know will help me and I will help them get the work done and make better happen faster and more pleasurably now as I'm on my own than I could have inside an organization. And I'm really excited. I just formalized a new partnership with Drew Payne of Upmetrics, who they have a technology platform and an ecosystem where they bring a technology platform into a nonprofit and give them a three-person team and can help them 
tell their stories better using their own data and how to build goals, et cetera. And I won't get into all the details of it. My point in bringing it up is that it's a great example of stars aligning. I knew his mom from Harvard more than 10 years ago. We met and he's doing this thing that I think will really advance the power of philanthropy in a way that's never been needed more. So yes, I feel freer to be me. Talk about woo-woo. <laughs> well, I, and just to like make one last point about, I think that's the essence of what our divine right as human beings is. Like to be free to be ourselves. And each one of us at different points of our career puts a different uniform on or puts our, a self-inflicted glass ceiling or box around ourselves of what we can and cannot be as we adapt to the language, the culture, the environment of the constraints, right? I love that chameleon analogy. And yet there is a tipping point when that takes so much energy to hold. It takes so much energy to hold back. And living through that in my technology career, it was part of my craft to lead a team in a way that was, I don't know, more spiritually minded, more motivated on human potential and on the soft skills as much as the hard skills. And it was not safe to talk about at all. And it was part of one of the reasons why I didn't continue being there because it felt like handcuffs. Like I felt suffocated and I was draining myself that showed up in a health condition because I wasn't able to be feel fully free. And so I don't have the answers and we don't have the answers for other people's paths, but would say that there's an, an indication to your, your body knows if you're feeling depleted, if you're feeling depressed, if you're feeling anxious, if you're going in to work and on a Zoom call or in a meeting and you constantly feel like you're holding yourself back or biting your tongue, those are the cues to say like, am I really aligned to be here? Is this really supporting my full expression of the multidimensional self that I am? And I do believe that's our right. It doesn't mean that we don't use discretion on how to express it. And that is a beautiful lesson I will take away. And we, we have implemented, I would say, after that beautiful meeting with you, around reading the room and knowing when to push, knowing when to not. Like, but knowing the quality of ooh, what is the price I'm paying for either wearing a certain uniform holding myself back, biting my tongue, because we all know the answers. And our hope is that the reflection, are you, if you're doing that now to just really take clear stock of it and be honest. I'd love to add on to this story and pull it to, you're talking about the personal implications and I'd love to pull it to the, the sector as well. And well, we are on this podcast and in our writings, sometimes critical of the social sector. And I, so I just want to say like, It's not because we don't like it. It's because we're part of it and we see what it can be and we see how needed it is and we want to make it better. And a quick postscript to the meeting that Jen and Ellie were talking about at Museum of Science is a month or two later, it might have even been a week or two later, Jen and I had the chance to go to a summit at Kellogg University, Kellogg School of Business, their brand new, amazing facility. And it was 1,000, 1,200 business leaders 
talking about social impact and change and, and ways to make a difference. And the keynote session was Malika Chopra, Deepak Chopra's daughter and an author and thinker and in her own right, powerful change agent, leading a guided meditation of 1,200 business leaders. And it was one of those moments that Jen and I looked at each other and said, the social sector is way behind. And people like us say the social sector is behind. And I think people, especially nonprofit leaders, groan and say, what well, you're talking about technology or, you know, we have limited funding and no bullshit. We're talking about the choices that are made every day to stifle people, to take advantage of people's idealism, to make people work for 25% less and ask them to work 20% hours more than everyone else. And it's not sustainable. When we started a couple of years ago to work with for-profits, one of our questions internally to Plenty is, you know, are we doing a values trade and are we, are we sacrificing what we hold dear to chase business. And we were incredibly surprised that our for-profit clients are the most idealistic, the most open-minded, the most willing to embrace head and heart. And, and this, for the social sector to stay alive, particularly right now in these disruptive times, some of these trade-offs that are being made have to end because the LE stars are waking up and saying, screw it. I'm not going to do this anymore. So I'm going to break my ankle on this soapbox I've just stepped up on and you can hear, hear my passion. But there's a different kind of trade-off I think we see in the corporate for-profit space. And it's hard and people are making values trade-offs, but the corporate space is way more on the ball about employee well-being, social good, and the nonprofits are should be looking around and saying our competition for social impact is going to be coming from the for-profit sector. So would love anybody else to take a crack at any of those. Topics. I, just... I just want to make a quick comment that I think ties all of these things together. And that's that in the not-for-profit world, most of us do that to ourselves rather than the institution doing that to us. And what we do is we say, I am killing myself for the greater good. I care so much about this fixing that I need to do that it's worth everything. And, you know, and then that becomes institutionalized because I thought that when I was a wee fundraiser, and then I thought that when I was, you know, running a 50 plus person team. So I think I agree with you. I think it's internalized that we all do that. And it comes back to our sense of ourselves and invincibility and how much correcting are you doing in order to live in that uniform. And I think that the thing that we tell ourselves and, oh, the stories we tell ourselves is I'm doing this because I want to make the world a better place. And that seems so much bigger than I want to be whole in myself. Yeah. Well, and it's blended with a deep sense of insecurity. You know, like when we don't feel worthy, we tend to give, 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 give to everybody else and then feel so depleted or need a wake up call or just exhaustion or, and we don't understand why. And part of it is like, we're living through this wave of, it feels like, a sense of unworthiness around what 
and selfishness. Like it feels selfish to, and as a mother and as a businesswoman and partner, like it, it's taking a lot of practice to say, putting the mask on myself before I do it on those I care about is the right thing to do. Because even though the plane tells you that, it's in reverse order in my mind. It always has been, right, as a caregiver. And yet, as I'm growing up, I'm learning like, holy shit, if I can take the time and trust in my own worthiness, I have so much more to give. And a lot of the things I'm giving to are not mine to give to. Like that's a big thing I'm learning around. Like actually the weight of the world, it's arrogant to have that on my shoulder thinking that I have to make this massive positive difference in the world. And if I don't, somehow I've failed and I'm not a good human being. And I'm not saying that's everybody's narrative, but I'll tell you that has been mine for a lot of my life. And what we're constantly seeing is this un the foundation of unworthiness, of not really believing that it's our right to speak up. It's our right to say no in that sense that you're talking about, that personal way that we operate within the organization is really time for change. The organization is only as healthy as the people within them. And if you think otherwise, you're fooling yourself because we, we constantly see like fundraising, funding, revenue is the top goal and culture is absolutely nowhere on the radar. And it's what's mucking everything up, right? Because the PT burnt out, frustrated, they're being bullied or they're not feel safe to speak up or all these different issues with diversity and inclusion and nobody knows how to talk about it are surfacing. And it's so distracting from them being able to even think about raising money. And I think it's also that women have traditionally, the nonprofit field is much more women and uh, much more women enter into that field thinking, I have to take care of everybody else. And so it's this really self-perpetuating bad habit. And it's time for us to understand that and live it, not just intellectually. And, and again, want to make sure, it feels like I'm always putting disclaimers on the podcast. So for people listening, there's a lot of great people in the space. And there's some leaders who've gotten great at manipulating the codependency of their teams. And if your business model is built on, on that, it's a corrupt model. And it's funny, the number of LA stars who've left the space and say, I feel so much better, is staggering. You know, I don't know that we've ever met one person, Jen, who's left the nonprofit space and said, oh, I really wish I could go back. So because we care about the health of this space and because we believe strongly we need a vibrant third sector, we're hoping that some of these issues get addressed. And maybe this is part of the disruption that's happening because we're kind of running out of time to uh, address it. But, you know, it's, it's not an easy environment for fundraising and it's not going to be for another six to 12 months. And that would be something interesting to talk about. I think we're going to find out that the biggest asset that we have in this sector is our stories of change and the people in our organizations who believe passionately in telling those stories. And so 
you know, to your point about measurement, it's so important that we, we have a real story of impact, that we've made a difference. And to Jen, your point about the people, it's so important that we have real people who are rewarded and filled to share those stories with others. And I think we're concerned that we consistently see that, that, people, that people side of, of the bridge being eroded. Well, I'm not going anywhere. I'm so in this sector. I so believe in the power of philanthropy. And I think, you know, I've changed where I'm sitting maybe, but, and, and how I'm doing this, but I am as committed as ever, if not way more so to staying in the place where I believe the most potential for improving our world circumstances are. It, to me, it's in philanthropy. So I'm sticking with it. I love it. Well, we're so grateful to even begin the conversation and unpacking it. We could have several hours and weeks of other podcasts exploring other topics, and we'd love to have you back to do so. Where can people find you about Stars Aligned and how can they connect? Sure. Uh, Stars Aligned. Stars is from my last name. So it's stars aligned with two R's and starsaligned.com is, is the easiest place. I'm Ellie Star on LinkedIn. All my contact info is there. And I'm looking to have as many conversations as I can. And if they lead to work and money, that would be great. But call anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we're so grateful to know you, Ellie, and so grateful for the honesty and the you know, the relationship that we have built with you, I think hands down, this is the best part of what makes our work so fulfilling is that we get to grow and learn from and establish such trusting relationships with people like you. And we're so excited to see where you go and blossom from here on out in your new kind of next whole chapter of reinvention. And Really glad that you're here. So thank you. And thank you both. My healthy heart is warm and big right now. And I really appreciate what you do and how you do it. And that you try always to bring the vision of abundance and plenty to all of us. So from a very full, plentiful heart, I thank you both. Love your way, Ellie Star, and love all of you for listening. Please, if you like what you hear, please give us a positive review. We're teaching Ellie how to do that right after this podcast on your favorite service. And please hit subscribe and share it. Your reviews mean the world to us and the shares mean even more. So thank you all for helping us send the message and build the message. Be safe and well, everybody. We'll see you soon. Thanks for tuning in. Join the conversation and learn more at plentyconsulting.com.